Question for my listeners. If you could ask Beyonce one question, what would you ask her? If you could ask Beyonce one question, what would you ask her? I have a few questions I would like to ask myself. So let's sum it up together. I'm Chris Sumlin, and this is The Sum Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Sum Podcast. I have good news. We are now on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to this on Spotify or your Apple device, I just want to say I'm so happy that you're listening. Make sure that you are following this podcast. And at the end of it, go ahead and rate it and let me know what you think. I was thinking yesterday that I would really love for a Beyonce podcast interview as I'm starting the Sum podcast and creating content, putting it out there. Someone asked me, like, who would be your dream guest? Like, what would you ask them? And I said, like, if I could interview one person, interview anybody, I would want to interview Beyonce. Because here's the thing. I've said it before. Beyonce is like my number one favorite, like, celebrity that I've kind of followed since I was like a teenager. And she is notoriously private. We never get Beyonce interviews. We barely get social media posts. She really just doesn't talk. And I feel like here's the thing. When there's someone who's ever achieved any level of success, who's ever done anything really cool, really exciting, them sharing their triumphs, their ups and downs, it blesses people. It blesses the culture. I love David Letterman's show My Next Guest Is on Netflix and how he'll sit down and talk to a guest for like 45 minutes and they'll just like tell their story. I really enjoy Angie Martinez's podcast when she sits there with Kelly Rowland and they're just like talking and telling that story. Usher, that's really cool. I even love Drink Champs. I'm somebody who will sit down and watch the full two hours or three hours of Drink Champs and I just like enjoy like really long form interview conversation style podcasts. Like I just love that. I would love to talk to people. I think those like, you know how there's like talk shows that are really short, really fast and there's commercials and they're all that I love the sit down where it's like, I got you, you got me. There's no interruptions. Let's just chat. And so I would love for Beyonce to do one of those. And it would be great if she even did it with me. And if I were blessed with that opportunity, just to like sit down and have a conversation with Beyonce, these are the questions that I would ask, right? Number one, who is Uncle Johnny? So as you all know, Beyonce just recently released her seventh studio album called Renaissance, which won four Grammys at the Grammy Awards in 2023. It had the number one song, Break My Soul, on the Billboard Hot 100. And I guess the single, Cuff It, is the longest charting Beyonce single of all time, beating out like Halo and Sweet Dreams. Like Cuff It is just like one of the biggest Beyonce songs ever. And in that song, um, Heated, which is one of my favorites off of Renaissance, She says at the end, Uncle Johnny made my dress that cheap spandex. She looks a mess. And then in the album, like the physical booklet, which of course I have, she was like, I like to think of my Uncle Johnny. Then when she won best like dance electronic album at the Grammys, she said, I just want to thank my Uncle Johnny. But my question is, who is this gentleman? Who is Uncle Johnny? Who is the Uncle Johnny made my dress? And I think that's a really big question to ask. Who is this person? Like, who are you? Like, who is Chris? Who is anybody? But I think just kind of humanizing and telling us some funny anecdote stories about who Uncle Johnny is. Where did he grow up? What year did he pass? What is his era? Like, was he like the 70s? Was he the 60s? Like, who is Uncle Johnny? I think that that would be something that I would want to know. And I think that would be a really good talking point question to ask Beyonce. Number two, as I have many questions, I have like six. What is Beyonce's favorite song from each album? 
So I listen to a lot of pop culture commentary. I'm often watching celebrity interviews. That's just like my thing. That's what I really enjoy doing. And I saw this clip of Beyonce. They were asking her like, what is your favorite song that you recorded? She was doing promo for her third album, I Am Sasha Fierce. And she said, oh, of all the songs I created, I really enjoyed Satellite. Now, mind you, I Am Sasha Fierce has single ladies on it, If I Were a Boy, Ego, Diva, all these songs that we've seen her perform numerous times, all these songs that people know in the culture. I don't think anyone, even big Beyonce fans, know the song Satellite. So it'll be really interesting to hear her go through all of her seven studio albums, like solo work, and be like, what is your favorite song from those albums? So like, if it was Dancing Love, she could say, oh, my favorite song is Me, Myself, and I. B-Day, my favorite song is Freakum Dress Because of This. I'm Such a Fierce, my first song, Satellites. Four, my favorite song is Rather Die Young. Like, let's have those conversations. Like, what do these songs mean to you? Why did you make them? Like, which ones are your favorites and why? I think that would be a really interesting moment to ask. Just every album, a song, and maybe like a cute little antidote story to go along with why that song is your favorite. Songwriting stories. What are the songwriting processes? What are these songs really about? I uh, often talk about Taylor Swift's music because I love it. And it's very, very clear. Like, I was watching an interview with Taylor Swift and she was like, oh, like my favorite birthday I ever had was called, um, was my 22nd birthday. And I decided to write a song about it. It's called 22. And it's just about dancing and living life and being free. And then you listen to the song 22 and it's just like, I don't know about you, 22, everything will. It's just like happy about having a big old party, having fun. So we instantly get it. When I listen to songs like Virgo's Groove by Beyonce, or when I listen to, you know, Sweet Dreams, it's not really clear sometimes, like, what is the personal antidote that these songs are based on? What is this song really about? So I think that's really something I would love to hear from Beyonce, like, from a songwriter perspective. What do these songs mean to you? What are they about? And so forth. I was watching her Life is But a Dream documentary on HBO, like, that HBO documentary, and she was talking about how she was like giving birth to Blue Ivy and how she rushed to do another concert called like the Rebel Concert. And like she did like all these regiments and worked out and she pushed herself so hard. And when I was watching the Rebel Concert, it very much reminded me of the Homecoming Concert. Like she just had the twins. She was trying to get herself back to do Coachella. It's the same thing. So I would love for her to speak to um, what were the experiences like giving birth to the twins and doing Homecoming versus giving birth to Blue Ivy and doing the Rebel show? And just what were those trials and tribulations? What were the successes? Like, what were those experiences like? Because I think there's a lot of parallel between those two Beyonce moments. Her Rebel concert that she did back when she had Blue Ivy, I think 2014 in New Jersey, and the Homecoming concert that she did at Coachella in 2018. Now, I've heard some people say like, oh, I want to hear about like what happened in the elevator. And I would love to hear about like some like scandalous things. And I really don't think though, I think that's why Beyonce doesn't do interviews because nobody wants the scandal. Nobody wants to sit there and talk about that. Even if someone came up to me and was like, Chris, talk about like your parents' divorce. I'll be like, I'm not about to talk about that. Like that's not mine to share. That's like not something that I would explore. But um, if there was something salacious that I would like to ask Beyonce, just like a very selfish way. I would really want to know what were her thoughts on the Chris Rock Will Smith slap that happened at the Oscars. Because that happened. We saw Tyler Perry's reaction. We saw Denzel Washington's reaction. We saw Lupita Nyong'o's very visceral, real reaction in real time. So I think my question to Beyonce would be like, what did you think about that? Like, did you think it was funny? Like, did you laugh? Did you think it was an act? Like, it would just, that would be my guilty pleasure kind of just 
cookies and cream, donuts, junk food question, be like, so what do you think of the Chris Rock slap? So yes, those would be questions I would ask Beyonce in an interview with Who is Uncle Johnny? What are your favorite songs from each album? Give me some songwriting stories for each. Rebel versus Homecoming. And what are your uh, thoughts on the Chris Rock, Will Smith slap? I think that would be a really dope Beyonce podcast interview. I would like to do it. We could sum it up together. But I think that we should hear from Beyonce. I love hearing from Jay-Z. We hear from Oprah. We hear from, we even heard from Will Smith. You know what I mean? Like, it's so good when people who have reached a certain level of success and prominence in their own lives for them to share their stories. And I think Beyonce is an artist that has so much to give. And it would be nice for someone to give her the opportunity to give. So, yes, that's the sum on that. Another kind of point that I would like to bring up and discuss is we're still talking about the WGA writer's strike. And I saw a very interesting story today on the internet, on Twitter, that said, can AI, can artificial intelligence write a funny 30 rock scene? Can AI write a 30 rock scene? And as you all know, we said on uh, yesterday's episode, is that one of the demands that the writers have for these uh, unions to kind of advocate on their behalf for is that they're nervous that AI is going to take their jobs. And I want to be very, very clear. I just give my opinion. I give my perspective on things. It's never my intention to be like disturbing or ever to offend anyone. But the reality is from what I'm looking at, from my perspective, I see AI getting rid of a lot of jobs. That's not to say that I am happy about it. That's not to say that's a good thing. That's not to say that it's something I'm advocating or rooting for. But I think the truth is that AI is going to take a lot of jobs, which kind of even goes to the point of why the writers need protection from artificial intelligence, like why the union should advocate for that. Like I'm with it. I want to be very clear that I want equal pay for writers. I want writers to be able to have opportunities. If they're out there on the sidelines picketing and advocating and protesting, I think that that's great. And I'm for anybody getting more money, getting equitable pay and to dismantle what's basically like wealthy people taking advantage and exploiting these humans who are doing the real work. Um, I'm somebody who grew up in poverty. I'm somebody who has struggled to pay their rent. I've been very clear and transparent about that. That's not anything I'm ashamed of. So when these people are advocating for higher wages because some of them can't pay their rent, even though they've written episodes of television shows, I want them to be paid well. And I think that my prediction and my assessment of that situation by saying like, oh, I think AI is going to take these writers' jobs does not mean that it is something that I'm advocating or rooting for. I think it's awful. And I really think that they these writers need protection from that. So like, that's okay, but I'm allowed to have a prediction. I'm allowed to have an assessment and a, an idea of what I think is to come. And so I wanted to be very clear that I'm with the writers. I understand what they're fighting for, but, or as I say, and I do think that artificial intelligence is a dangerous thing that they need protection from. And this story kind of brought that idea up because the Hollywood Reporter who posted this story entered a prop into ChatGPT, which is like the AI software, and they um, entered a prop asking it to write a scene of 30 Rock. And so then they actually had a human, like television critic, come in and assess, like, was this was the scene good? And they got a TV critic by the name of Dan Feinberg, who also generated his single prompt in under 30 seconds. And he said, the shape of the scene isn't exactly horrible. And he gave it a C minus. He also went on to say that the scene that the artificial intelligence wrote, the dialogue has no punchlines, has no recognizable voices connected to the characters. 
who have very recognizable voices, and he gave it a C minus. Now, a C minus is not good. We want an A. So it's clear to see that from this one person's perspective of that artificially intelligence written scene, that it doesn't do that good of a job. But I do think like that's chat GPT-4. I'm sure as we continue to advance in culture and technology that the artificial intelligence will get better. And I hope that these conversations about the writer's strike and the all that's going on that people can say like we have to protect them because even if the artificial intelligence can do a c minus that should be a red flag like okay we have to do something about protecting these writers so i thought that was just really interesting that i talked about ai taking our writers jobs and writing scenes and that's already something that the chat gpt can do even though it's at a smaller scale a not as good a skill as an actual human being i know that it's going to get better and that's what these writers need protection from and I believe that as we keep having this conversation, that there will be more advocacy amongst uh, A-list talent, amongst hosts, amongst um, actors and directors. I think that more people are going to say like, hey, this isn't okay. Like, let's protect these writers. Let's give them equitable pay. If we understand that these studio executives are making like someone making $200 million in a single year, that you should be able to have writers that can afford to pay for their rent in Los Angeles. That you should be able to have writers that can make a livable wage so and have to rely on government assistance. That's really, really important. And there's already celebrities that are coming out in support of the writers. Drew Barrymore, it was announced today that Drew Barrymore has dropped out as the host of the MTV Movie and TV Awards, saying that she's doing so in solidarity with the writers. Interesting, right? We already have someone that's saying like, oh, I stand in solidarity. Drew Barrymore, that's a really big A-list talent who's saying, I stand in solidarity with these writers. And they're saying that the awards are still set to air on Sunday, but they'll now go without a host along with the Writers Guild of America scribes. So that means that these awards that are taking place, the MTV Movie and TV Awards, are gonna still take place, but they're not gonna have their writers and they're not gonna have hosts. I kind of like that. Like, I like Drew Barrymore and people in power saying, like, you know what? I know that I took on this gig, but I'm going to stand in solidarity with these writers. I'm going to make sure that they're getting their equitable pay and that they're getting their uh, protection from artificial intelligence. So shout out to Drew Barrymore. And they're even saying that um, MTV has called off the red carpet for the event, which may see other talent pull out as well. So we're already seeing very, very quick ramifications of this writer's strike with people standing in solidarity, with people saying, I'm not gonna participate in whatever my job is. I'm not going to let these writers continue to starve and struggle to pay their rent. Give them some protection from AI, give them equitable pay, give them higher wages, give them residual checks. And I just wanna say that that's really cool and I love that. Drew Barrymore is not the only one that's taking a stand um, with the writers. Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers are putting their monies where their mouths are as well. It was reported that the comedians and NBC late night hosts will help pay their crews while their shows, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and Late Night with Seth Meyers are dark due to the current Hollywood writers strike. NBC is paying staffers on the shows through the end of the week, while Fallon and Myers will then pay employees for the third week, sources told The Hollywood Reporter. The show's workers will also have health care extended through September, reports said. So just imagine that, not being able to like get your normal pay, not being able to work, and then even having your health care put at risk because of this strike. It's just really, really unfortunate because it's like people matter, humans matter. Even though yesterday I said that human capital cost 
and that there's going to be a way that people are going to try to automate that, that shouldn't be the resolve. The, the resolve should be to prioritize humans, to, pri uh, to prioritize protection from AI. And I'm happy that uh, Seth Myers has released a statement and that he's going to help his workers. Jenny Fallon is doing so as well. And then Drew Barrymore. And I even worked with Jimmy Fallon way back in 2016 as I was an intern on The Tonight Show when I was still in college. And that was my first time going to New York and spending a whole summer there. And I was terrified. But one thing I can say is like the staff that worked on The Tonight Show, they were really, really kind to me. Like it was, you know, it wasn't the most diverse place as a lot of like late night TV shows are. It was not diverse. But um, I will say that I felt real immense kindness from some of those producers on that show. So my prayers are with everyone affected by the writer's strike. And I think it's really great that they're actually out there on the sidelines, like picketing outside of Netflix and picketing outside of Disney and outside of these studios. That stuff is so important. And I just hope that the writer's strike ends sooner than later and that these writers get equitable pay. And that's all the sum on that. In other news, Ed Sheeran wins the Thinking Out Loud copyright case. Ed Sheeran was in court because he was going up against Marvin Gaye's classic Let's Get It On, and he had to like defend himself because they thought that he stole a piece of Let's Get It On for his song Thinking Out Loud. A jury found out today that Ed Sheeran did not wrongfully copy Marvin Gaye's classic Let's Get It On with his 2014 hit Thinking Out Loud. The jury reached a unanimous verdict after just three hours of deliberation. Three hours of deliberations. The lawsuit was brought by the heirs of Ed Townsend, not even the actual person, but the heirs of Ed Townsend, who was Marvin Gaye's co-writer on the Motown classic. The suit alleged that the syncopated chord pattern of Sheeran's song, Thinking Out Loud, is noticeably similar to the 1973 tune of Let's Get It On. I just think that's just horrible because music there's so many songs that are made every single day. Like anybody can create a song and put it on Spotify. Anybody can create a song and put it on SoundCloud. There's only so many notes. There's only so many chords. So of course, music is going to sound familiar. But I also will just say, listening to Let's Get It On and listening to Thinking Out Loud, I would never, ever listen to Thinking Out Loud and think, that sounds like Let's Get It On. I just wonder what that deliberation was like, which we can see it was unanimous. But I just wonder like, what were those conversations like amongst the heirs of Ed Townsend that thought that they had a a viable case. I think that's really strange. And I I feel sorry for Ed Sheeran because I read online that he missed one of his grandparents' funerals because he was mandated to be in court to talk about the Thinking Out Loud case. And I just think that that's awful that he had to miss time away from his family because he was in the middle of that case for something that was so egregious and so a joke and so clearly not that. That is just unfortunate. But congratulations to Ed Sheeran for winning that case. There was even talks where he said that if he were to lose the case, that he would quit music. He said that if there was a case for him um, losing that, that he would potentially quit music. So I'm happy to say that he won the case and that there um, he will continue making a song because people love Ed Sheeran. He makes really good music. I love Thinking Out Loud. I love the perfect duet. Uh, I just love some of Ed Sheeran's music and he's not problematic. And I just think that he just kind of handles his business, that he's a nice person. And I'm unfortunate that he even had to go through that. So y'all, stop taking these artists to court off of like these alleged copyright cases. Like what a waste of his time. What a waste of those jurors' time. What a waste of our lawful process. So congratulations to Ed Sheeran. That's the sum on that. Another story I would like to talk about is, did you know that five years ago today, 
Childish Cambino released This Is America. Does anyone remember where they were when the This Is America music video came out? I feel like Childish Gambino is who people think Kanye West was. Like Childish Gambino, this is the person who makes music. This is the person who makes movies, who makes television, and is successful in every single one of those paths. He is such a great advocate for Black art and being unapologetically yourself. He even makes fashion statements at the Met Gala when he goes to the Golden Globes and the Emmys, and he's just won so much critical acclaim. I just wanted to give some flowers to Donald Glover because five years ago uh, today, This Is America was released. That video was really interesting. It got people talking. It got people interested. It got conversations started. And I remember very vividly him kind of saying like, I'm not going to add commentary or explain the video. It is what it is. I'm going to put it out there and you all can have conversations amongst yourselves about it. And I think that's what art does, whether it be movies, whether it be a podcast, whether it be music. I just think that when people put things out to the world, that you should respect the person for being daring enough to put themselves out there and then have conversation about it, debate it, discuss it. And I feel like Childish Gambino does that. So I just want to give him some Friday flowers. Happy five year to This Is America. Another thing that I wanted to discuss is Taylor Swift's love life is back in the headlines once again. They're saying that she's fell in love already with a gentleman thing named Matthew Haley. Matt Healy? Who is this person? Taylor Swift um, and the 1975's Matt Healy are madly in love is a report that came out in the New York Post. And I'm just like, she was just with bruh, Joe, what? I don't know, not that long ago. So how could she be madly in love with someone already? So the New York Post released an article today that says Taylor Swift's new lover is reportedly the 1975 frontman Matt Heedley. Swift, who's 33, and Healy, 34, are allegedly madly in love with each other, so much so that they're ready to go public at Swift's upcoming Nashville tour stop. A source claiming to be close to the singer told The Sun on Wednesday. Now, I don't know The Sun to be a very reputable source for news. And, and um, there have been numerous times where they'll release something and it end up will not being true later. So I'm just like, The Sun, I think if it was something a little bit more reputable, I may go for it. And uh, that's, I just don't know where this is coming from. The article goes on to say that it's super early, but it feels right. They first dated very briefly about 10 years ago, but timings just didn't work out. In fact, Page Six once reported that the 1975's 2016 song, A Change of Heart, may be about Taylor. The rumored new romance comes weeks after news of Swift and her boyfriend of six years actor Joe Alwyn, 32, broke up. Just weeks. And they were together for six years. So I really have to do my research and learn who this gentleman, Matt Healy is. Like, it looks like Heal with a Y, so I'm going to say Healy. Um, interesting. Kind of looks like Joe, I guess, like a brown, uh, dark-haired, Caucasian man. Interesting. I wonder how Taylor Swift is doing. I don't know how you can start a new relationship while being on tour, but we will be following this story closely. Taylor Swift and her new 1975. Boo. I don't even know who 1975 is. I've never heard of that band. So I will be doing some digging and learning who this gentleman is and following this romance closely. And that's the sum on that. Well, my friend, that is all the time I have for today. I really appreciate everyone who's been listening to the podcast. I was looking at the analytics and statistics for the show, 
and we have more episodes for episode two than I do for episode one. So while there are some people who are, you know, saying they want to make podcasts and have these aspirations and these goals, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this podcast will continue to grow. As I said at the beginning of the show, we are now on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to the Some Podcast on your Apple devices, as well as on Spotify. So make sure that you follow and subscribe to the show, whether you're listening to it on Spotify or Apple. Again, as I said on yesterday's episode, I'm still working out to figure out how I will bring on guests, but it is definitely something that I will look to do no matter where you are. We will hop on some type of platform and we will definitely talk and have chats about all things pop culture. We'll sum it up. We're going to sum it up and we're going to do a lot more summing together as we sum and uh, summarize and analyze all these different stories and all these different posts. I look forward to it. So thank you for listening to another episode of The Sum Podcast. I'm your friend, Chris Sumlin, and I will check you next time. Thanks so much for listening. 